Hey, I'm Scott. And I'm Chris. And this is Doxologic, where we help you think with your Bible. It is good to be back with another mailbag episode on Doxologic. My name is Bree, your cheerful host for today, and I'm joined by Chris and Zach. Glad What's to be here. up? Yes, good this, to be this here. This is special. Yes, I'm excited to have Full you. I think together, I got man. to maybe do, it was like the first yes. mailbag episode. This is the original crew. Yeah, Here baby. We are. Back when we had the, the one-way table. <laughs> yeah, more like news anchor style yeah. layout. Yeah. This is way Look more legit. Now. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I was just thinking, I, I feel like I want to share that before we started recording that we were just talking about how cool it is that people from our church mm-hmm. are sending in these questions mm-hmm. and just, I, I get the privilege of seeing the questions come in and and seeing uh, your names and some people I don't know, but some people I definitely do know. And just, it's so sweet that mm-hmm. we get to take this time and respond to folks in our church who have legitimate questions, how to just think with their Bible. There's like group. a, there's a weight to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we get the responsibility of guiding our people through these questions. And um, sometimes I wish that we had more than just a quick second just to reply in order to be able to actually go deep. But that's the point of doing life in the church. We're going to yeah. give like an answer that at least will be satisfactory for the initial question, but there's going to be discipleship in time that will flush these things out. Totally. Just really appreciate you guys and your faithfulness to do mm. these kinds of things. So yeah. thanks. Love us, God. Mm-hmm. Let's jump in, you guys. First question, what is the connection between discipleship and salvation? Because salvation is clearly through faith alone and not works, how does that relate to Jesus's call to follow me and to count the cost of following him? It's mm-hmm. a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, connection between discipleship and salvation. Uh, first place I would go is discipleship is an outworking of our salvation. I think mm-hmm. about even... Um, Philippians chapter 2, and I could turn there here, I don't have my Bible in front of me, but I've got it uh, on my computer, mm-hmm. and um, the idea of working out the salvation that has been worked in us, this is a, uh, mm-hmm. Philippians 2.12, um, I'm, I'm in the middle here, but it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So the discipleship is the walking out, or the working out of the changed life that we have in Jesus. And uh, some people, um, you maybe have seen this too, Zach, they, mm-hmm. they attempt to talk about a um, like being a disciple before being a Christian, yep. and they might even talk about the disciples of Jesus, and well, you know, they didn't get it for three years, and they followed Jesus. I would just mm-hmm. say, we're, we're creating an argument out of a story, as opposed yeah. to considering after Christ that mm-hmm. all those who are followers of Jesus are those firstly who are saved mm-hmm. by Him, born again of His free grace, and and then we live that out in a life that mm-hmm. grows, and that's what discipleship is. Salvation involves so many components that really, it's one united whole, yeah. but we tend to see it broken down into like the, the Spirit's regenerative work beforehand, before we come to like a saving knowledge of who Christ is. He's the one that redeems us and brings us to life. And then a justification that happens when we confess in faith in Jesus, we are justified before God. And then sanctification and discipleship go on for the rest of our lives. Hmm. And then there's glorification as we get to be in perfection with Christ. And so with this, it it's really hard to then want to try to draw these dividing lines for like, when do these transition processes right. happen from one to the next? And the the Bible doesn't want us to do that. It wants mm. us to see that salvation is this holistic, united whole where 
where individuals confess faith that has been given to them by God's Spirit, and then they live that out. Think of every second half of a New Testament book, or the whole book, if it's the book of James. James is constantly getting on the fact that like faith without works is not true faith. It actually isn't fleshed out and actually alive and living. And discipleship is a core component of salvation, genuine salvation that is um, living unto the Lord. Yeah. Great. Anything to add to that? No, you guys nailed it. Awesome. Sweet. I knew the answer, and I was just like hoping you would just, yeah. Yeah. It, you know. This is good. You, got, you this guys is good. Yeah. All right. Next question. What does it mean that the musicians prophesied with lyres, harps, and cymbals in First Chronicles 25? All right. Let's read this. Yeah, go First for it, Chronicles man. 25. Um, if I actually had this pulled up ahead of time, it would have been great. First Chronicles 25. Just as Zach turns there, uh, in general here, this this type of prophecy is not to be understood um, immediately, at least, as just as the prophet Isaiah did, just as the prophet Ezekiel did, just as those, what we sometimes call the major or minor prophets, called uniquely by God for a ministry to a certain you know time period in Israel. This is going to be something of a mm-hmm. speaking forth of God's word and truth. But yeah. let's actually read the verses. Themselves. Yeah. So what's nice is if you if you read it, it kind of helps define it. So obviously at the beginning of chapter twenty five, we have David assembling uh, Levites together in order to to worship at the the house of God, and um, and so with this it says in he lists off a bunch of names. So I'm in verse two, second half. Who prophesied under the direction of the king? Um, and more people that are listed off. And then it says later, who prophesied with the lyre in thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. Describing. So it describes the prophecy, thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. So this was prophetic in the sense that it spoke truth and declared the the character, the attributes, the truthfulness of who God is. Mm -hmm. And we see that in the Psalms, and we actually see it a lot in song in general, in the yeah. Bible. So like Moses' psalm in Exodus 15 is just declaring what God had done in the Red Sea crossing. Mm-hmm. And later on in Deuteronomy 34, it's a testimony of what God has done in human history. So yeah, it's prophetic in the sense that it continues to give thanksgiving and praise, declaring God's word and God's authority. That's yeah. helpful distinction. So you could say that still continues on now. Totally. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Worship is prophetic. That's awesome. All right, we're just kind of jamming through these. Uh, next question. Is it true that Jesus's gospel is different from Paul's? No. Moving on. Yeah. That's the <laughs> new record. Unpack Guys, it a little bit record. more than that. <laughs> sure, we'll, we'll give it some more love. <laughs> yeah. But, yes, indeed. But yeah, fastest I've, answer ever. I've seen yeah. this come up quite a bit, whether yeah. it's... um like book studies on the new perspective of Paul, talking about like how he tends to talk about the gospel. Uh, there was, um, I know that uh, our our questioner who asked this gave a link to a resource where they kind of net out, they try to create a matrix between the things that Jesus tends to talk about versus the things that Paul tends to talk about. And, um, and ultimately, uh, we're going to give scripture references to help back up our position, but we believe that any apparent differences, like uh, Jesus' focus on the kingdom versus Paul's focus on the gospel of grace, let less kingdom words, although Jesus had a lot instead, and then other things that are delineated, those are actually supposed to be harmonized together, even though this resource says they cannot. And so in order to prove that they can and they should, I think Chris and I have a few verses that we can pull from in the New Testament. Great. Yeah, we can admit that um, 
Uh, even though it's not uh, a one-word answer, it's still only a few minutes here, and you could easily write a, a long, um, you know, chapter inside of a theology mm-hmm. book, comparing and contrasting. Uh, I, I do believe that it's a fabricated difference. If mm-hmm. you're trying to find it, you can seem to find it, and mm-hmm. if you you know, aren't settled in the issue of there being one gospel of mm-hmm. the kingdom, which is of the grace of God. It's the good news of the of who Jesus is, his death, burial, resurrection, salvation is a free gift of grace. If you're not settled in that, mm-hmm. then then certain blogs and, and you know websites can be unsettling. All right. Yeah. I, I would just argue in one place like Galatians, the end of one and the beginning of two uh, the end of chapter one, the beginning of chapter two is a great place to understand that um, Paul, early in his own conversion, um, spent time with Peter and other apostles, and it was confirmed after spending time with them that they had one gospel, the gospel, and Paul was called more to the Gentiles. He, w- he went to uncharted territory. Uh, of course, he went first to the Jews. As he went from town to town, he went first to the Jews to bring mm-hmm. them the gospel. He went to the synagogues over and over again first, but then he was, yes, a, a preacher and church planter to the Gentiles, and then the apostles, especially Peter, were focused on on, on Jerusalem and on Israel, and so um, here's just one uh, kind of the summary ch- verse here is Galatians 2, 7. It says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel, with the gospel to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. That's not... That's not focusing on the difference of the message itself, but the different places of the call that they went to, and yeah. that these apostles, I mean, these these apostles like Peter were disciples of Jesus, and yeah. they knew that Paul had the same gospel being sent out, and yeah. there are differences in terminology, but that ought not yeah. uh, concern us. Paul wouldn't have been qualified if it wasn't a united gospel. Right. Right. And, and my, my context is within Ephesians. So later in Ephesians 4, Paul's whole point is going to be like, there's one body, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, there's one gospel. Yep. It's good. And, and here at the beginning, he mentions this idea of the reconciliation between Jew and Gentile united within the gospel. It says, uh, verse 15 of chapter 2, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile to us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he, be, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So Paul's whole emphasis is like this is in one entire unit and building. If we are a living temple, it's because we are united by one spirit built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself, our cornerstone. If Christ Jesus is not the cornerstone, then that means that there is a a fundamentally different gospel. It is a different unit. It falls, but that's not Paul's point. It's one united whole. 
Yeah, and even earlier in Galatians 1, I was just thinking again here, um, he's astonished that the Gentiles are departing from the gospel. Mm -hmm. He talks about uh, departing from the gospel and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, which is the gospel of Christ, let him be accursed. Um, Think this just... I, that just should be a closed case right there. Totally. That he know he knows he does call it my gospel, mm-hmm. but he knows it's my gospel received from the Lord Jesus as yeah. the gospel. And there's a there's an ownership that Paul speaks of, but not because it's fun- fundamentally different from either Jesus's or the other apostles, but that by grace he's given him this great stewardship. He talks yeah. about this great stewardship that he has to proclaim this gospel, and he does call it my gospel. I, I don't really take that moniker on myself, you know, to mm-hmm. do that. I don't think that's my right. Well, Paul, as really the last apostle, capital A, apostle, was given a tremendous grace and stewardship. And so he spoke about it in mm-hmm. first-person terms at times, but that's not to say it was um, differentiated from the gospel of yep. Christ. So perhaps for the one who's asking this question, it would be good to begin with the foundation that that God's Word is a united whole. It's all about Jesus. It is written by the Spirit, ultimately about the gospel, the revelation of the Trinity of our God as put on display in the work of Jesus Christ in salvation. And so with that, you then need to look at things that look like they're maybe separate and see, A, what's the point in how they're delineated differently, and what does that actually help us uh, retain by understanding the aspects of both of them? So if we have gospel of kingdom and gospel of grace, how do both of those images actually unite into something really cool that needs to be described in those two unique ways and everything else that follows in this matrix? So helpful. Thanks, guys. Mm Okay, referencing back to episode 24 of Doxologic on the importance of reading, what are some books that you think every Christian should read or would benefit from reading in addition to the Bible? This was a... It was easy in the sense of you have books you're excited about, but it's hard in the sense of, I mean, how many things did you just like have cataloged through your brain? There are so many, yeah, so many to choose from and, and like... What's the person looking for? They're looking for the like you mm-hmm. can't miss this theological book or like can't miss this practical biblical Christian living book, right? Yeah. There's just just what categories would you be interested in? But totally. we don't have that, so we're gonna do our best. Yeah. And I know we yeah. all have a couple dimensions. So yeah. um yeah, Bree, why don't you go first? Yeah, I when I read this question, I just was like, Oh my gosh, I've read so many books and then I tried to narrow it down. Like you said, like, how do you, mm-hmm. where do you start? And I feel like recently in the past year or so, some two books that came to mind immediately was Gospel Treason, um, just a really great book for uh, just uh, understand like the pervasiveness of idols in the heart and just um, helpful tool to like help identify. Maybe you think there you don't have as many and then the, mm-hmm. walking through the books, this the real life application the author gives, um, just so helpful and it just impacted me greatly and just mm-hmm. how to identify and then like repent. And yep. like just the repentance is there and yep. the grace of God is there. And so it's so yeah. helpful book. And then another one I read more recently was um, Gentle and Lowly, which was actually a recommendation from you, Chris. Um, <laughs> challenged me in a lot of really unique ways that I wasn't expecting to be challenged just as Christ. Um, when he describes his own heart, he says that he is gentle and lowly. And so just mm-hmm. some of the language in the book challenged mm-hmm. just the way... Um, I might uh, view God in a really particular way, uh, and so I don't want to give too much away, but I just mm-hmm. love... That book was so impactful. Yeah. 
Those are great. Yeah, yeah. those are yeah. excellent, excellent uh, choices. What about you, man? Well, I I went for um, my first books. I recommend are "What Is Biblical Theology" by James Hamilton, mm. and I'll recommend it alongside "Echoes of Exodus," which is by um, Alistair Roberts. And both of those books, they're like pretty thin books. I think like a hundred ish pages. And the reason why I recommend these is because when you read them, you as a reader engage in your Bible and read it on its own terms. So it's really easy to like read through scripture and be like, this is weird because the Bible is weird. It's intentionally weird and is intentionally different than obviously our own, our own context. And so when we gain the lens to be able to see scripture as one united story that points to Jesus, that helps equip anybody, regardless of if you study in seminary or if you're just a casual reader of the Bible for the rest of your life, you end up being equipped to be able to see the story of scripture as one united whole. So really those books are going to help you be able to track with things that are constant repeats in scripture. Uh, seeing all the different transitions of how the story is once again pointing to Jesus. I think that's really important. That's great. Uh, Just a couple more. In fact, both Gospel Treason and and Gentle and Lowly were on my mind, so now I'm thinking about other books. Uh, Sorry to take yours. All good. That means they, uh, I just agree is all. Uh, The Other World View by Peter Mm -hmm. Jones. Mm -hmm. I mentioned that in a a sermon not too long ago. It felt like to me it was one of the more... um, it was accessible, like understandable, but but just um, the worldview implications of such a book were profound, and I think he um, did some things just in my own theology and helped me understand way, ways uh, New Age connects with what's going on today, but the way the Bible and the Gospel so clearly answer the mm-hmm. problems we're facing right now. So The Other Worldview by Peter Jones, and then even a more recent book, Fault Lines by Vody Bauckham, just uh, would say that given the mm-hmm. nature of what's going on, ra- race, racism, mm-hmm. tensions, I think Fault Lines is an excellent uh, excellent read to really understand uh, how to approach this today. So I'm not reaching back mm-hmm. all that far. We could go into so many other great works, but I, yeah. hopefully this is a good start for people. I got one more. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Gospel-Centered Life. Yeah. I love how all these are they're little tiny guys. So anybody that's like, I'm that's not good. a huge reading fan, you can read these, and yep. you will be encouraged when you read them. But The Gospel-Centered Life, it even has pictures. It runs through what the gospel is and describes it through a few diagrams, yeah. and this book is so good that at DOCSIS students, we actually gift it to every high school graduate. So when you graduate and you're a DOCSIS student, you get this book um, from us to you because we love them, and we want them to be able to see the gospel at play. So for sure, if you need to understand the gospel more, and we all do, because the gospel is not the intro to Christianity, it is Christianity. It's the A to Z of our faith, and so we need to understand it. So read it if you haven't, The Gospel-Centered Life. Cool. Awesome. Hopefully that's enough reading material for those curious. Okay, last question, and maybe one of the more interesting ones, speaking from a personal perspective. Okay, coming from a legalistic background, I was taught that tattoos are sinful and unbiblical. How can an argument be made against that? How do you feel about this? (laughs) Personal? Uh, What? I feel like, uh, for me, so... uh, my walk with the Lord began when I was 24, and uh, 99% of my tattoos were what I like to say just BC, so before Christ. Mm-hmm. So um, I did struggle with this a lot in the early years of my faith, and um, a lot I heard a lot about uh, Leviticus 19, 28, which I'm sure we'll chat about in mm-hmm. a little bit here. Um, 
But I don't. I feel like as conversation goes, I'll yeah. I'll interject. Totally. But yeah. do I feel well, like I am sinful for having them currently? No. But yep. like I said, a lot of mine were BC. Yeah. Let's okay. let's start with that Leviticus yeah. verse. Ahead, so yeah. Leviticus nineteen twenty eight, which I'm pretty sure is some people use like your body is a temple as as another verse yeah. reference. First, but First um, Corinthians. First Corinthians six. Yes. I believe. Six and seven. Also maybe. conceptually in Ephesians 2 and 1 Peter 2 yeah, and, yeah. and everywhere. Uh, Leviticus 19.28 says, You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am Yahweh. Mm-hmm. That's how the verse reads. So without much historical study on specifically that verse, it seems really clear as you look at make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves for I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, that clearly this is like, this is a cultural thing that is tied to a worship practice. Right. And and we see that a lot with a lot of the, the Mosaic and Levitical law that is given to Israel is there are laws that are, that are moral, that stand in time, and Jesus is the fulfillment of those as well. But then there are these ceremonial, for lack of a better word, aspects that they were prescribed to Israel so that they would look different, and that was to look different than their Canaanite neighbors, and to embody attributes of who God is. And so we need to understand that there there are things within that law set that are meant to make Israel stand out, but it was for a season in time. And before I pass it over to you, Chris, two examples of that are just ones, two that we don't do. Our Leviticus 19.19 is you can't put two types of seed in your field, and you can't wear any clothing that has two types of material. If that's a polyester cotton blend... Probably is. Probably a problem. Pretty sure it is. Uh, Exodus 23.19, no meat and dairy combos. If you like cheeseburgers... Sad day. No cheeseburgers yes, for you. So like those are two aspects where like it was to set them apart and we clearly we don't freak out over those ones because we see Jesus as the fulfillment of the law. So but this one tends to stick around a little bit. Yeah. Well, the, good new, the good news for you, Zach, is you only eat Chick-fil-A. Yeah. So that's chicken <laughs> oh, no. and cheese. And that's is that not, one okay? Yeah, oh, but yeah, well, it's, it not, it's not I in think the Bible. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't think God yeah. thought to like no, also... No, Chick- Chick-fil-A is not in the Bible. You're right. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't think God named chicken cheese on top of chicken. I don't think he said we couldn't yeah. do that. Okay. okay, I digress. Okay. Back to tattoos. So yeah. I, I, I want to say, in addition to what you said regarding Leviticus and, and what the purpose of these ceremonial laws was, was mm-hmm. also worship distinction, yeah. right? So... Uh, cultic or occultic practices that were involved in paganism, that they would cut themselves as part of their worship to try mm-hmm. to appease gods and or you know that their god or gods, um, that was a distinction. And mm-hmm. we're not talking about a one-to-one scenario from today's what we would call tattoos. Yeah. Um, and so we have to recognize that. I would say, though, that today it still exists, that oh, yeah. cultic and occultic practices, New Age things, can be part of the marking, and, and mm-hmm. really this self-harming of the body and the marking of the body. You, We can all either, we've seen them or we just can know Or them. even like what a tattoo might represent. Tattoos yeah. can yeah. be, they can be vile, violent, uh, mm-hmm. you know, these sorts of things that can be about, you know, uh, false gods. And so we have to be mm-hmm. careful not to just blankly approve yes. all tattoos. Like there's a purpose. Yes. And um, I, we were chatting very briefly about this, um, you know, Brie, about just, it's a wisdom issue at the end of the day. For yeah. the Christian, I would defend it in so much that it's a it's a liberty, you know, totally. part, it's, a, it's a Christian freedom. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's conscience-driven, not so much that I want everyone to go and do it. It's not, I'm not mm-hmm. making an apologetic for everyone should go and do it, but I am saying there, there could be purposes that people would have um, for mm-hmm. even, even missions or ministry to a certain degree, I could see that, um, and, and not to say uh, we want to control whether people are allowed to do that. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I like to think of it as like, 
is it the wisest thing to do? I think, uh, I feel like, uh, my heart strings get more tugged towards like young people mm-hmm. that might ask me specifically. And I'm not, and this is just from my own perspective and not trying to make a blanket statement for anyone else who might have, uh, one tattoo or many tattoos, but like, I kind of like, why, you know, yeah, like, why do you absolutely. need those? I feel like, uh, now I'm, you know, any tattoos I've received since, um, you know, having a saving faith in the Lord is just like some cover up stuff of some of those mm. things that might have been uh, representative of a time in my life or maybe like more offensive things. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's just not like my passion and pursuit in life anymore. It's not like my priority. Mm-hmm. So um, that would be like my question, like, like, why? Yeah. Like, it, what's your what's the reason behind it? And I also don't want to make like a total blanket statement for those who I feel like um lots of people who talk to me that it can like my tattoos help my witnessing in certain mm-hmm. scenarios, which I agree, um, a little bit, but I think it can also hurt my witness in a lot of situations. Um, mm-hmm. there's definitely like demographics of people who find the way I look very offensive mm-hmm. and that's like not, it doesn't open me up for conversation to them. Yep. Um, and then to have a tattoo for the sake of witnessing, um, I don't know if that, I don't know. Yep. I, don't know well, if I know best. of some yeah. that have chosen yeah. not to because they knew as missionaries what cultures they were going into. And because in some cultures it is tied to worship practice still yeah. and needing yeah. to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. So it for sure is a first Corinthians ten thirty one. Mm-hmm. whether you eat or drink or tattoo, or not tattoo, sure, to sure. paraphrase into it, uh, do all to the glory of God. Yeah, if I were to make any case, uh, it would just be to recognize that they are always representative. Tattoos today, they're representative of something. You're either telling a story, you're maybe mm-hmm. people commemorate you know, someone who died, you know, if they love, something like that, or they are... are yeah, okay, I should say some people just do it because they think it's so cool. Yeah. I, would, I would want you to take it seriously enough to know how to talk about whatever you're... I'm doing this as if it's on your arm, like a yeah, highly yeah. visible spot. If you're going to do it, you, you ought to do it in a way that would hopefully be something leading toward mm-hmm. possibly a faith conversation mm-hmm. about Christ uh, as opposed to just... more of a random thing. There's no defense for it being utterly random. you got to recognize the permanence, relative permanence at least, of a tattoo, and the hard work that it is to actually remove those, and just just not walk into it lightly. Mm -hmm. Totally. Agree. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thanks, guys. That was a fun mailbag episode. If you're listening and you would like to send in your own questions, you can do so by visiting our website, docsatchurch.net. At the top navigation bar, you can click on resources. The drop-down menu will take you to uh, the Doxologic podcast menu, and from there you should be able to fill out a question. Um, Thanks, guys, so much for sending those in. Until next time. You've been listening to Doxologic, a podcast by Doxa Church in Rockland, California. To learn more, visit doxachurch.net. Oh, 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 o